So James chapter 1, verses 19 and following. <clears throat> and this is what it says. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, and then he goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So this is week three of looking at James. And if we remember, James is the brother of Jesus and he has one pretty much agenda as he writes this. He wants to impart practical wisdom. So you know Jesus, you spend time with the word. So what does this look like practically in a world that's hostile and difficult and not fair? Practical wisdom for everyday living. First week, let's do a little bit of a recap. We're in week three. First week we looked at, is there any one of you that's suffering? You just, it's down and out. Life is not going well. The Bible says, seek God, ask for wisdom. Specific wisdom for this specific situation. And when you do, you've got to believe that God doesn't give partially. He doesn't look at you and look at the wrongs that you've committed and said, I'm going to withhold my blessing. But you've got to believe that God is a giver and a generous giver and stand in that reality and you'll experience practical wisdom helping you get through difficult times. That was week one. All these sermons are online. Week two, last week we looked at the two traps that are in this world that are like snares that are like a foothold for believers. Number one is the pursuit after riches. Right? We looked at money in itself is not a bad thing, but it's the pursuit believing that money will give me identity, money will give me security, money will give me everything that only Jesus can give. So we looked at riches as being one of the snares, and we looked at temptations. Temptations, not necessarily from Satan himself, but temptations that come out of impulses and deep desires that are from within. Right? It's like we looked at Midnight cravings, midnight sugar and midnight carb cravings, right? These come from deep places of desire in our heart. And it's like, we got to get them. And so what do we do? We act upon them. And in the same way, our bodies work in terms of getting us ensnared by driving up those impulses and these desires and saying, I got to be fulfilled. I got to be fulfilled. And that's how we fall. And when we do that, Things are ruined with our relationship with Jesus. Things are ruined with our relationship with other people. And we are not happy people. So today, we're going to be looking at what does the person look like who is walking with Jesus? A person who has a vibrant, healthy relationship with God. 
someone who is in prayer asking for wisdom, is a person who is experiencing victories in their lives, saying no to the snares of riches and temptations? What does this person look like? It's in verse 19. This person looks like someone who has control over their tongue, and they're not quickly angered. I remember a time in my life, this is when I was in eighth grade. This is when, I I don't know when I switched from being a a boy to a man, but probably around seventh, eighth grade. And I remember going to my first ever church camp, church retreat. And people, I mean, they were doing some things that were really strange, right? I mean, I look back now, it's normative, but back then it was strange. So we had other youth group students who were flat on their knees and faces crying and yelling out to God. And I was just like, dude, this is weird. Right? And then like everyone just, just calling out to God, repenting, committing, repenting of their sins. I was like, whoa, this guy's really bad. Right? Because you could hear all this stuff and just asking God forgiveness. And so I was like, well, what the heck? Maybe, maybe I, should give it, I should give it a shot. Right? I mean, I didn't really know Jesus, but I just like, Jesus, uh, I, I, mean, I, I know the bad things that I do. So I started confessing my sins and started seeking God's forgiveness. And I don't know exactly what happened. But I remember after three days leaving that camp, feeling different. I remember I was in eighth grade and um, my parents really annoyed me. It's like the stage that my daughter is in right now. Like everything I do annoys her. <laughs> we were eating yesterday and, and she asked me, we're, we're eating um, Brazilian steakhouse. And she asked me, dad, what kind of cut is that? It was a picanha, right? If you don't know what that is, it's like the Seriously, it is the best cut. It's like filet mignon with prime rib. So it's the tenderness of filet mignon, but the flavor of a prime rib, picanha, amazing. And I was like, Ellie, it's a picanha. And she was like, well, what is that? I said, Ellie, it's a cut of a meat, beef. She's like, so what is that? I was like, Elle, it's just part of the cow, right? And she's like, dad, why are you yelling at me? This is in front of all my in-laws and everything, right? I was like, everything I do annoys her. And so I remember when I was in eighth grade, my dad came to pick us up from the church. And I got in the car, and usually when my dad asks, he goes, so Kevin, how was it? I would get really annoyed. I mean, do you guys remember that time where just everything your parents asked you was just, oh, stop asking me. But it was weird because I actually engaged in a dialogue with my dad. I said, dad, it was really interesting. It was a great time. Felt like God touched my heart. And then the whole drive, I remember, from Bellevue all the way to Issaquah, right? So maybe 20, 25 minutes. There wasn't an ounce of annoyance towards my dad. And I wasn't quick in my tongue. I I didn't do one of these, oh, you just don't understand. Just stop, dad, stop. My tongue was held. I was slow to anger. And something very profound happened. My speech was replaced with trying to understand my dad. My anger and my annoyance was replaced with compassion. I was like, my dad doesn't know what I experienced. I want my dad to be touched like I was touched. And so James, the brother of Jesus, says when you're walking with Jesus and have a vibrant relationship with God, one of the first things that changes is your speech. One of the first things that changes is your speech. 
And not only that, but you become very receptive and very open to truth, specifically God's truth. So when was the last time you guys spent some good quality time in God's word? I think there is a parallel between what we're feeling and what we're experiencing in life and how much we're humbling ourselves, embracing God's word in our life. So when was the last time you spent some good quality time with God and in his word? Today, we're going to be specifically look at a section of what does it look like for a person's heart to be completely undone and saturated with God's word. It's pretty, pretty dang popular. So verse 19, every person let them be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. He's already assuming that you're in the word. And you're coming to the word not to master the word, but you're coming to the word to allow it to master you. And there's a big difference because one is an ac academic endeavor and the other is through a relationship because you want God to tell you things that you need to fix in your life. Do you guys know what heaven is? Heaven is a place where you just can't wait for God to tell you what you need to be doing. Do you know what hell is? Hell is a place where God is absent and he doesn't tell you not even an ounce of how you need to live your life. You're left to your own desires. And if you don't get that, then you don't get what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Because when you're in love with somebody and you truly respect somebody, you want them to tell you how to live your life. You don't find that restrictive. You don't find that narrow but you find that actually freeing and very honoring, right? And so Christians love Jesus telling them, this is how you need to live. This is why in 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, it says, whoever says, I know God, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Christians, Jesus followers, move towards obedience of God's word. They love, I'm not saying always in all seasons, sometimes it's going to be hard. But they know that trusting God and obeying him it's better than all these sacrifices and all these things for him. Obedience is one of the true marks of a follower of Jesus. And I say another true mark of a follower of Jesus is you have joy. You have joy. Joy. Joy in obeying God. Now, what does it look like for us and for Jesus' followers to spend time and to be affected by his word. We're going to pick up in verse 22. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Right? There are certain types of um, Christian 
denominations where they really, really emphasize the word and the doctrine, right? And there's kind of this joke that says they believe in the Holy Trinity. It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Scriptures, right? And they leave aside the Holy Spirit, right? And I found this to be true because I'm a part of that, right? Where it's, it was all about doctrine. It's all about exegeting. It's all about understanding what God is saying in his word. But then in that, you lose the obedience. And because the Spirit comes in not just to help you understand the Scripture, but to live out the Scriptures. So he says, it's not just good enough to know good doctrine. He actually says that if you have good theology and you know the Bible, you know the historical context, you know the nuances, you know the grammar and everything in there, but you don't apply it in your life, your knowing the Bible is just as good as demons and their knowledge of the Bible. Because they know a lot about Scripture. They, they'll know more about Scripture than you will ever know in this lifetime but they never submit to it. And they never find joy in obedience. So here's what James is saying. Yes, when it comes to scripture, you need to be quick to listen. What is the spirit saying in this? What is God saying to me through the text? But you can't stop there. You must be a doer. And then he gives this analogy, right? Every single one of us who didn't look in the mirror this morning, we all looked in the mirror, right? No one's going to raise their hands, right? We all, looked, we all looked in the mirror. When you look in the mirror, what's the purpose? You want to, you know what's annoying? When, when you take a really hot shower and your vent is not sucking up the hot air fast enough and the mirror is all clouded over, right? And even if you do one of these, immediately steam comes and it fogs up your mirror. It's annoying. Why? Because the purpose of a mirror is to adequately and perfectly reflect truth. How many of you guys look in the mirror and you see blemishes? You see wrinkles, you see white hairs, you see a pimple, and then you just turn around and you just walk away and not do anything about it. The purpose of a mirror is to reflect accurately what's there so that you can do something about it, right? I mean, I, geez, the mirror has saved me so many times, right? I just, I mean, this is kind of, this is good. So sometimes I'm driving to work, right? And I just, the allergies, and I just, hachoo, right? And then, like, you know, I just go like this. And then I didn't realize that some got in my hair, right? Come on. It's not like it didn't happen to you guys. And in the last moment, I look in the mirror, and I'm like, what's, what's that in my hair, right? It's, 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 it's a part of my, my blessing that came out of the nose. And so I'm so glad. But what if, right, you looked in the mirror and you saw what was in your hair and you just literally walked away and did nothing about it? The mirror is purposeless. James says God's word is that mirror for us. It perfectly images who we are, the blemishes, the things that we need to change about ourselves. This is why we don't come to, you don't go to the mirror so that you can master the mirror. You go to the mirror so that the mirror can reflect, in a sense, master you to show you what you need to do. And so God's word's doing exactly that. It reveals to us our sins. It reveals to us where we're placing our security in. It reveals to us that we're very short and short-winded. It reveals to us that we're really annoyed. It reveals to us where we're looking for purpose and meaning in life. And what's the response? 
the response is always to see something better and to change course and to move towards that. We call that in the church repentance. And I want to make it very clear. Change in the Christian life is not cold turkey without giving anything in replace. It's not like, okay, you got the sin in your life, so just stop it and just stop it and just, just bear down and knuckle through it. That's not Christian repentance. Christian repentance is the thing that you're doing is not good. It doesn't honor God. Therefore, God provide this that's even better. It may not be right in front of your hands. It may be something that's in the future, but he provides something and it provides a promise. So Christian repentance is moving from this and trusting in that. And then if we do that correctly, who's the doer? It's God. Who's the initiator? It's God. Who's the one who does it through us? It's God. God gets all the glory. If you just white knuckle it and just fist it out and just try to make it change and happen and you actually make some modification in your life, who's going to get all the glory? You will. What, what are you going to say? Man, I did this. Man, look at my hard determination, my grit, my hard work. And what ends up happening is you maximize yourself and you minimize God. And that's not Christian repentance. That's just really trying hard. So, the Word of God is a mirror that adequately reflects who we are. How are we to engage with the mirror or with God's Word? Um, it says in verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law. Right? Um, when you guys think of law, maybe some of you guys think of the Ten Commandments or the old Levitical laws. What James is referring to here um, is the whole Bible, and specifically the Old Testament reinterpreted by Jesus. Because Jesus came and he, he raised the standard of morality and ethics, right? If you look at the Sermon on the Mountain Beatitudes, he just took it to another plane. And so when he's talking about the perfect law of liberty, he's talking about the whole counsel of God as interpreted and redefined by Jesus. And he says this, when we look into, when we look intently into God's law, that word to look into or to look intently is the same word that's used when Peter was at the empty tomb of Jesus. He, he looked into the tomb and he was examining. He was, doesn't smell like a rotting corpse. I, I see the clothes of Jesus exactly where he was buried. There doesn't seem to be any foul play. What is going on? So in the same way that Peter was examining and looking at the cave or the tomb of Jesus, is the same way that we're to look at the whole counsel of God. We're to examine it. We're to reason with it. We're to explore it. We're to wrestle with it. We're trying to come to grips with what does this say? And some of the most helpful ways to do that is with a commentary, Right? If you have a Bible translation that you do not get, go to another translation, right? There are a lot of translations, and some, some, some even in my own camp will say, well, that's not really the Bible because it's a paraphrase. And I, I tend to say, hey, it is, but it gets the nugget of the truth, and if the person is really having a hard time with, like, um, 
like with an ESV version or whatnot, let them go to that. It's okay. It's okay. Now, they should be able to graduate from that, you know, in, in, from years on. But for now, it's okay. Or a commentary. Um, commentaries are something that really aid me in my own study, right? Because I come to a passage, I, I wasn't there 2,000 years ago, so I don't understand the historical setting. And so what I have to do is I've got to read people who've actually done their research, so it allows me to get more aware and to understand more of what was happening during that time. And we'll look at later when it talks about what's pure religion. It's looking after the poor and the widows, right? I found that in the commentary, and you'll see why it's so rich when you understand that. And so commentaries, Bible study, you know, um, Bibles or um, study Bibles. If you don't have one of those, um, I really recommend you getting one, right? Right now the web has so many materials and sources that you can use, and that's fine. But our first job is to really examine, to look. What does this say? Secondly, after we've looked intently into God's law, into his word, it says that we are then to persevere. It talks about forgiveness. Okay, I've got some people I need to forgive. So this word perseverance is also long-suffering. Do you know what that means? It's not a quick fix. It means you're in the long haul. You persevere for a long time. Forgiving, learning how to forgive, forgive, coming back to it, forgiving, forgiving, sending other scriptures, asking other people, how do you do this? And you keep doing this. You don't give up. When you realize that there are certain habits and things in your lives, you don't give up. You go to God's word. What does God's word have to say of this? You hear this Holy Spirit convicting you, and you just continue to go through. Don't give up. Persevere. The person who knows Jesus, the person who has a relationship with God, isn't just going to say, throw my hands up. You can't do that. I'll tell you why. No parent can do that with their child. Right? And no child can do that with their parent. They can say that with their mouths because they're so ticked off and they're in a place of rebellion and hurt. But in the heart of hearts, they know that's my parent. They know that's my dad. They know that's my mom. And they can't just abandon why? Because it's in here, it's in their hearts. And so because God's word is inside of us, there has to be this sense of persevering. You know, man, this is hard, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my very best to work it out. Right? I'm not saying that the time that you become a Christian, you're perfect, but you grow into it. It intensifies as you mature. So how's it been for your life when it comes to Repentance when it comes to obedience to God's word. Is there perseverance? And lastly, action. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. The purpose of studying the Bible is this. is to know Jesus. And to hear Jesus tell you how you need to live your life and humbly and gladly submit to his commands and say amen and do it with the power and the aid of the Holy Spirit. That is the purpose of the reading. The reading of the Bible is not for us to accumulate more information and to have a little bit more insight. That's good. But the purpose is to know Jesus and to say yes to Jesus and live it out in your life. It's, it's that simple. 
So how is that going in your life? And lastly, in verse 26, what is the kind of religion that pleases God? How, or in other words, how do we know that God's truth is really working and really, um, that we're really submitting to in our lives? How do we know that? And he says, true religion that's pure and undefiled, that honors God, is one that looks after what? Orphans and widows. Mike alluded to this a little bit earlier on. During Jesus' day, the two most down and out, screwed people were widows and orphans. Because your inheritance, your livelihood, your wealth all came through your man. If your husband died and you don't have any kids, it's going down the line. If you're orphaned, you don't even know who your parents are. You have no resources. It's like, shoot, I'm really screwed because I like, have nowhere that I can go. No one wants to hire you. No one wants to give you a chance. This is why there were specific laws in the Old Testament for widows and orphans to protect them. So what's the religion that God really is honored with that moves God's heart? It's identifying, resourcing, and taking care of those who are the most resourceless, who are the most broken, who are the, most, who are the ones who don't have a voice and who need someone to stand in the gap to say something for them. Why? This is, and when I made this connection, I was like, oh, that makes sense, God. Why? Why did James go there? Well, because James knows the Old Testament. Old Testament over and over and over and over and over. You know what it says in the prophets? Only do justice and take care of the widows and the orphans. It's always talking about that. Why? It's because of this. We care, we are moved, we serve the people that we identify with. If I'm an immigrant and I meet another immigrant that shares the same sport, I'm moved with compassion to want to help them. We help and we serve and we give towards the people that we say, yeah, that hits home to me. You know why serving the orphan and the widow should hit home to us? Because that's who we were before we found Jesus. We were the orphan, we were the widow who didn't have any resources. Sure, we pretended like we did, we thought we did because we had all these wealths, right, and riches. But at the end of the day, we, we had no ability to call upon heaven for its blessings. We were the orphan who didn't have a dad. We were the, who were, who were lost, we didn't know where we were going to ultimately end. Didn't have the resources. But what did God do? Because he for so loved the world, he sent his son to save widows and orphans like us, who are destitute, who are in poverty, saved us, so that we could have a dad, and as Ephesians 1 said, so that all of the heavenly blessings that exist in the heavenly realms now becomes yours. All the rights, privileges, and benefits of Jesus, because of his death and our belief of his death on the cross, is now all of ours. 
the reason why we should be moved towards helping those who are in, in the margins is because we were one time in our life in that place. Do you guys see that? And this, this is what he's not just saying, oh, you just need to help out the poor people. No, he's saying if God's seed is really in you and it's working, it's maturing, you're going to have even more compassion for the broken. You're going to have even more compassion for those who don't have resources and just don't have a voice. Because the more you connect with God's word, you're going to realize you were at a place where you had nothing. And it was completely by God's grace and his sovereignty and love that he rescued you. And because of his rescuing of you, you now have a voice. You now have a place. This is why we go for them. What's the religion that God is so honored with? It's seeking and saving the lost who are truly broken and hurting. And you can't be around those people unless you keep your mouth closed. Unless you're slow to anger, not quickly triggered. Why? Because they will trigger you. They will push. They will yell. They will scream. They will say nasty things about you. Why? Because they're hurting. When God's word is here and we're living in his word, it has practical ramifications for every day and especially the most broken in the world. This is why we are, aside from Jesus, the greatest gift that God offers. Because more and more our heart is connected to him, the more and more our heart is connected to the margins. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, Oof. Father, so many times um, out of our own discomforts, God, we harden ourselves and we turn a blind eye towards those who are really hurting. And maybe it was just because we were in a season where we just weren't ready, we were hurting ourselves. But I thank you, Father, that no matter how much we yell, scream, say nasty things, it doesn't deter your pursuit after our hearts. So, Father, help us on a daily basis, Lord, as we listen to your word and as we see that your word, the gospel, is able to save our souls, help us to spend time with it. Help us to live it out. Help us to be word people. And so, Father, I pray for those of us who have lost a sense of excitement and love for your scriptures. I pray that in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will inflame inside once again a deep, deep love for your scripture and a deep love to want to obey Jesus. And so, Father, we just receive that and we say that is not something that can come from within it must be initiated by you. But Father, we see that you did that work through the scriptures today. So we say yes, 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 yes to your word. So Father, I pray your blessing be upon every single soul. God, help us to be doers. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.